the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, uh, well, we've reached a certain tipping point, a certain moment in history. Uh, the the world will look back on this moment. And, uh, Mark, this is the, the moment where the Democrats realize that Joe Biden cannot be reelected uh, but they don't know what to do about it. They don't know what to do about it. We'll get to that in a moment. Hey, and uh, we're going to talk later today. I think it's today. Uh, I pre-recorded a segment with um, Gregory Wrightstone, and I just want to encourage you, if you have not heard, Gregory Wrightstone has a new uh, book out, and uh, Gregory Wrightstone is the longtime uh author of, uh, excuse me, longtime activist uh, hel- helping to identify what's gone on with um uh, CO2. He's the head of the CO2 coalition. Um, and, uh, and he is really interesting guy. And he wrote a book famously, uh, called Inconvenient Facts, Inconvenient Facts, which, um, got a bunch of attention. We had him on the show a long time ago, uh, but it also became uh, a big hit, uh, because at some point, um, the uh the daily wire folks um noticed him and sort of about maybe a year ago um uh and they picked up his book and um and and paid attention to it and it sort of popped up again Candace Owens in particular uh paid attention to it but Gregory Wrightstone very worth um watching him and checking out what's going on and looking at his um uh his writings and he's got a new book and it's called I think I'm getting it right it's called a convenient warming a convenient a very convenient warming that's what it is a very convenient warming um about basically how there are aspects of what's happening um, in the, the warming that are actually good for uh, us and good for us uh, in terms of uh, growth, in terms of um, uh, the ability to have crops and things. And so very interesting guy. So we'll talk to him in a few moments. Very, uh, very helpful interview. Uh, before we get to that, we've got to cover something. And this is uh, this is the theme here. What you need to know is presidential fever meets Democrat power. Presidential fever goes head to head with power, Democrat power. And what do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I have told you before that I have a theory of, of presidential fever. It's a kind of malaria. It's a uh, it's a blood-borne disease. You can't get rid of it. You can only try to control it uh, with some drugs and with some uh, honorarium and book deals and sometimes with uh, a run for the U.S. Senate. And it goes like this. If you are the nominee for a major political party, the Democrat or Republican party, if you're the nominee for president, you uh, will, you have a case you acquire 
uh, presidential fever and you can never get rid of it. So you think to yourself, well, like who? Well, Al Gore, uh, Mitt Romney, John McCain, the late John McCain, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, the people that get that close, they, they, they go around their life and they're like, Oh man, I, I should have been president. And I, they look around and they say, why am I not president? What's going on here? I should have been president. I was president. I, I was president. They stole the election. They, they mistreated me, whatever it is. As I mentioned, sometimes presidential fever can be, uh, you know, can be, um, tamped down by other opportunities. Um, oh, oh, by the way, presidential fever, the one guy who may have been able to dodge presidential fever, because my next assertion is that even if you get one term in office, you want a second. And if you're denied a second, you still have presidential fever. That's Donald Trump. He wants a second. That's Joe Biden. He wants a second. And so uh, Jimmy Carter seemed to have dodged it. He didn't seem to because they went on. If you go on and can replace or can sate presidential fever with some kind of drug, you can get um, you can live normally. Uh, McCain went back to the Senate and was grumpy. Uh, Romney ran for the Senate, was grumpy. Um, Hillary, uh, I guess she hasn't done anything yet except complain. But you get the point. Uh, John Kerry, he became secretary of state and he's like a czar to uh, Biden now. Bizarre. But presidential fever is such that you cannot stop thinking you should be president and scheming to be president. Hillary right now is hoping when it all falls apart for Biden that they turn to her and say, can't you run? She's hoping that. And so is John Kerry, probably. But here's what happens when presidential fever runs into Democrat power. They send out David Axelrod to say something like, you know, maybe it's uh, he could be he is going to be the nominee, Joe Biden. But maybe he should think about whether it's a good idea or not. Maybe he should decide if it's really a good idea or not. And so what's happening now? And then the polls came out. You saw the polls that came out that basically said uh, that uh, Biden is losing in nearly every one of the swing states. And so the reality is that uh, presidential fever, Joe Biden has it, wants a second term, is teed up to run, has held himself together. The Biden people have held themselves together in such a way that it's hard to get him off the ballot now. It's hard to imagine who could mount a third party short of him passing away. Uh, or announcing that he was so sick or something that he couldn't run or I guess just quitting. If he just quit, they would have, they could do something, but it would be very difficult and very costly and very uneven and all that. But the, he, so he did, he held himself in there long enough that he's the nominee if he wants it. But now you're watching the concerted effort of the power, the Democrat power, the uniparty power, actually, the regime power. They're saying, wait a second, we can't risk this. We cannot risk this with this guy, Biden. We cannot risk this. We've got to figure something out. And the pressure is just starting to ramp up and it is not going to stop. It's going to get worse and worse for him. They're going to they're going to they're going to push harder and harder on him. And they're going to come up with more and more reasons. Very specific reasons. Can't win. Isn't healthy enough. All these different kinds of things. They're going to find all these different reasons to try to get him to not run. And you're going to watch this power. It's coming from all sides now. There will be stories about the Biden crime family. There'll be more leaks about them. You know, you think they you, you would think they'd be covering up, right? That they would be covering up for him because they don't want no. At this point, they, if they can't get him out, at this point, if they can't get him out, they need to get somebody else in. And the only way they can get somebody else in is to force the issue uh, and uh, the, the to force things 
go to go all the way uh, to a a showdown. And I don't know what that'll be. I really don't. I don't know how they do this. And I, and I think that they're the, the, the power, the uniparty power is in a position where I don't think that they can say something like, well, we'll just have to live with it because they cannot stomach the idea of Trump. They cannot stomach the idea of Trump getting into power and perhaps, perhaps turning his focus to them. Right. And turning his focus towards them. I really think that's the uh, the the fear that they have. And so what you might see is you might see a massive cover your tail CYT effort to build out an apparatus, to build out the tools to try to protect themselves. But I don't know how they do that. I really don't. I, I think, um, I mean, I, I know ultimately one of the ways that they a second term of Trump would be tied up is the same way the first one was with uh, ongoing media scrutiny that was extraordinary, you know, with uh, ongoing uh, um, uh, negativity in the coming out of his own party, all those kinds of things that would happen that would be able to distract uh, from him and distract from what he's hoping to do. They'll do all that. I feel confident they'll do all that. Um, but um, the question is whether it can be effective. And, and, I, and my, my instinct right now is they don't know what to do. When you see David Axelrod uh, float his, uh, his trial balloon like he did, you, you know they want something to happen and they can't figure out how to get there. They really don't. And I think that's going to be the uh, challenge we're going to see now uh, because run the scenarios, run the scenarios. This is what I was doing on. I was doing an interview on another radio station. Um, run the scenarios out. What do you do? Okay. So you, you say um, he resigns. He says, I'm not healthy. I resign. Kamala becomes president. She's got worse numbers than he does. So what do you do? He says, I'm not going to run, but I'm going to stay president. And then what you try to put someone else in. Again, I think it's kind of late to replace someone without the explicit permission of the person you're replacing. I mean, I'm sure that's true to some extent. And uh, who can go down there and uh, and who can go down there and walk down to, you know, the old line, go down Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, like happened to Nixon and, and deliver uh, like happened to Johnson. They say we deliver a message that you can't run. Who's going to deliver that message? And who, who's he going to take it from? Uh, it's. um it's hard to picture, very hard to picture um, how that could work out and who would do it. And uh, and other than Jill Biden and and, you know, what the Biden people, uh, the response from David Axelrod's comment was that really quickly, um, Ron Klain, the former chief of staff to vice president, then vice president uh, Biden and then President Biden um, said something like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that called him Mr. Magoo. Um, and in other words, Axelrod didn't think that Biden could win when he ran in 2020 and he proved him wrong. That's what they're saying. So it's going to be wild to see presidential fever. Joe Biden has to have a second term. He deserves it. He's earned it. Presidential fever meets power, pure power, power of the incumbent party and the incumbent class of a people. And they hate Trump so much. That's a big uniparty that's united. All right, that's what you got. That's what you need to know today. We got to take a break. We'll come back. And like I mentioned, we got Gregory Wrightstone and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, one of my favorite places to go to read uh, thoughtful, serious writers and uh, and thinkers is frontpagemag.com. David Horowitz, the great David Horowitz, started that. Uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center, which uh, he's extraordinary. And Daniel Greenfield is one of the writers there often. He is a very effective, um, a very effective uh, writer. Um, he is the Shulman Journalism Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's an investigative journalist and writer himself. He's focused particularly on the radical left and Islamic terrorism. Unfortunately, this is a, um, a, a time where his expertise is very valuable because of what's happening so tragically uh, with Hamas and in the world of terrorism. So welcome, Daniel Greenfield. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. So um, I saw a piece that you wrote over on frontpagemag.com, The Silence of the Holocaust Museums, subtitled, They Can Mourn George Floyd, But Not Condemn Hamas. I, I had a journalist on from Israel uh, earlier in the program, and I asked a question about were there any prominent Islamic leaders who said about the Hamas attack that Hamas attack was so terrible and terrorist and evil that that is we denounce that as not Muslim, not of Islam. And I don't think I've seen anyone quoted saying that. Now, this reporter said there were a few, uh, but I, I, it's along the same lines, Daniel, when the supposed voices that want us to trust them on things are, are either silent or, or worse. It's 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 wild. So what's going on here? Well, the problem is a lot of those voices are tilted far to the left or to various destructive agendas. Uh, they keep talking about tolerance, but as you know, we can very clearly see they're not remotely tolerant. And in fact, uh, the same people were telling us that speech is violence, that any kind of misgendering was uh, really going to kill people are now completely okay with killing people. So there were never any moral standards or values that we had in common with them. What the situation was is that uh, they believed in destroying Western civilization. They believed in bringing down countries and they played the victim in order to do that. And whether it's Hamas now playing the victim or whether it's uh, various radical movements to play the victim, we're getting a lot of victimhood, but those victims don't believe in anybody else's rights um, or the value of anybody else's lives. Um, Daniel Greenfield is our guest. Uh, again, he's a showman uh, for fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, writes at frontpagemag.com. Uh, but da- David, I mean, excuse me, Daniel Greenfield, pardon me. Daniel, um, I was thinking of David Horowitz, but Daniel is, uh, uh, but are you surprised, even you who studies this closely, are you surprised that the Holocaust museums are quiet? Are you surprised by the scope of the university protests in favor of Hamas? I mean, it, it, I, I guess my point is, I, I don't think, I, I certainly did not believe it was this bad. Yeah, well, it's one thing to predict. It's another thing to actually see it for yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, it's uh, The reality is obviously worse. The Holocaust museums, you could tell there were major problems there. When some of those museums began putting out statements about uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, George Floyd back in the day, uh, the general rule is that any institution that's taken over by the left is going to go off its mission very quickly. And most institutions, particularly nonprofits, do end up being taken over by the left. So the Holocaust museums, like so many other institutions that were set up supposedly, again, to promote certain kinds of values, are just um, voices for the left. Universities uh, long ago abandoned any kind of liberal values. They become illiberal 
uh, radical leftist places that push hatred of American, obviously hatred of Jews. So uh, the their entire paradigm is oppressor oppressed, and they get to find who the oppressor and the oppressed are, and invariably it's you know, the definition follows whatever their political agenda is. Thus, uh, Muslim terrorists are oppressed, and the people who are fighting against them are the oppressors. The uh, well, and and so Daniel uh, uh, Daniel Greenfield is our our guest, and uh, Daniel, I was looking at some of your other writings, and and prolific Daniel Greenfield, a really good writer, but also prolific at FrontPageMag.com. Um, Care has uh, jumped into this and decided that they're you know that, that they're going to tell Joe Biden to fight Islamophobia again. I, I know Daniel that it you know some of this, as you point out, you could describe it and predict it, but it's still stunning. The idea that the President of the United States and the Vice President roll out an Islamophobia campaign in the midst of this period. It's its like a bad movie, not even a good movie, not even a clever movie. And and yet, I mean, what 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 is the um, what is the effect of this on on uh, America going forward? We've seen this show before. We saw it after September 11th. They quickly changed the conversation from 3,000 murdered people to Islamophobia. After every Islamic terrorist attack, they changed the conversation to Islamophobia, you know, Every few months, every year, uh, we get this uh, in the aftermath of an Islamic terrorist attack, which, of course, they don't call it. Uh, Muslim community is very worried about Islamophobia. And by Muslim community, they mean various groups associated with the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a the godfather of terrorist organizations, including Hamas and Al-Qaeda. And their representatives from this movement, which is really the Islamic version of communist movements, Back during the Cold War, pushed this agenda. So CARE is, keeps talking about Islamophobia, claims that Muslims are threatened, yet what is their big ask for Islamophobia? They actually have come out with a statement saying that the big thing they want to fix Islamophobia is for Israel to stop attacking Hamas. So there's no Islamophobia. This is a cover for Islamic terrorism. Uh, Daniel Greenfield, our guest, Daniel, another one of your pieces, you talk about how um, higher education has a problem. I, you know, Donald Trump came out with a uh, a new uh, policy position that basically said we need to get rid of, you know, get, create a new institution. I, I don't know whether that's a good or not bad idea. I like the idea of uh, taxing uh, uh, big universities. Your point is actually uh, that uh, when you look at the data, the undergraduate enrollments decreased uh, a ton, um, you know, millions, like close to three million students. In other words, people are opting out already. I, I, again, at a certain point, it doesn't matter if you get the Harvard um, network, if you are sending your kids to a place where they're literally unsafe. If you're if you are a Jewish uh, American, sending your Jewish son or daughter to Harvard would would really border on on, you know, kind of insane at this point. It's insane for anybody to send them there. You look at the statistics, kids come in um, with a certain percentage of them being conservative. They come out, especially from places like Harvard and Yale, very few of them are conservative because these are indoctrination factories. And the thing is, it's not as if they even teach you anything particularly useful, apart from some degrees in the hard sciences. Most of the most of the degrees being offered by these places are useless. Uh, degrees in general, they're you know, credentialing factories. And there really should be a movement among conservatives, not just to create rival institutions, which is good, but simply to defund universities. And that includes taxing them. But it also includes um, getting rid of this um, infrastructure where corporations, companies expect people to have college degrees in order to hire them. We actually had some movement in that regard in the 1960s. Uh, even some Democrats are on board with this. We, colleges are not actually teaching any useful skills as far as workplaces go. Most employers will say that. 
In the past, it was the, you know, a college degree was meant that you were somewhat intelligent and you could be counted on to show up on time and learn and do the work. Now the college degrees do not actually demonstrate that anyway. Yeah. So the thing to do is really defund the entire infrastructure, get rid of the credentialing, get rid of the idea that you need a college degree. And so many students, especially male students, um, young men are really not going to college. You look at the numbers, it's increasingly mostly young women. So young men have already decided to drop out. It's time for us to dump this entire system, which absolutely does not meet our needs and is destroying our country. Uh, Daniel Greenfield is our guest, and he again he writes over at frontpage.mag.com. Uh, um, uh, Daniel, what's your, what is your prediction, or what is your uh, what may be optimism on the media? Because the media is so biased now, so blatantly so. Every cable news network, all and you watch the, the, the only uh, there's no good things out of the murderous uh, terrorism. I don't want to even say that. I do though. It, it has smoked out some of the absolute patheticness of of the media, but it's also haunting because the the um, the watching the media uh, line up to to explain away true terror is I mean it's just beyond belief. The way I say it is uh, after September 11th, uh, we knew that Al Jazeera was evil. That it was the place where Osama bin Laden went to do his propaganda videos. Now there's really not that much of a difference between Al Jazeera and the rest of the media. Al Jazeera versus CNN. Al Jazeera versus ABC News. NBC News. They all really, MSNBC, they all really push the same materials. And the CNN and MSNBC have Al Jazeera people on them who are the absolute worst terrorist propagandists around. So right. uh, we've gotten to the point where a terrorist news network is really no different than the New York Times. And that's a major problem. But the good news is that the media is dying. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, Daniel Greenfield, thank you as always. And thanks to uh, David Horowitz. Uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center um, is uh, extraordinary. He's an extraordinary guy. Uh, um, and uh, frontpagemag.com is the website. I'll put a link up there. Daniel, thank you. And we'll have you back again. And uh, God bless you. Thank you so much. All right. We'll take a break. Everyone come back. I'll, again, I'll put it up on social media. He's got great. He writes a lot. Daniel Greenfield is really prolific and, and always thoughtful um, and worth reading. So uh, I will put links. We'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our friend Gregory Wrightstone. He, of course, uh, is the uh, leader of the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. You can go there. He's the executive director there. He himself is a geologist. His background is as a geologist. And I've been watching, uh, Gregory, as you're getting uh, ready. Your next book is out, your second book. I want to ask you about that. But um, I also wanted to ask you, I, I have... I have, I feel like Gregory, the tide has shifted on a number of areas where the left has tried to, you know, um, uh, kind of trick us. And for example, the, the diversity movement, people seem to be moving against that. You know, the wokeness, people get moving against that. Is it, is it safe to say on the, on the green stuff, there's a similar movement or am I being hopeful? No, I see it too. I feel it. Um, I just, I was in London all last week. I was meeting with ministers from New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. Uh, they're very concerned about the net zero movement. But it, while I was traveling, just random people I talked to were just, when I talked to them, they were just thirsty for this information that you and I have talked about for several years now. 
Uh, I think we're seeing a huge pushback. A lot of victories are coming fast and furious. Uh, a couple of those would be the there was a CO2 pipeline. They were going to suck CO2, the miracle molecule CO2. They hate it. <laughs> they want to suck it out of the atmosphere, and they were going to transport it to them and have it sequestered underground. Um, up in the Dakotas, uh, and it was just killed, um, thankfully. Uh, actually, three large offshore wind, uh, I won't call them farms, industrial complexes, I think calling them wind farms or solar farms is a is a misnomer. Misnomer. These are industrial renewable complexes that are blight on the on the landscape. Um, Orsted pulled out of their plans uh, two huge solar wind facilities off of uh, New Jersey. Uh, Shell then followed that up, and two days later with pulling out of their huge plan. Uh, again, for offshore uh, wind facilities. And this is, a, this is not just a victory for common sense. It's a victory for the environment. You and I are both environmentalists. We we want what's best for the for the environment, particularly for endangered species. Um, so what the, this has done is protect the whales, the dolphins, the marine creatures. Uh, and importantly, I'm not going to say more importantly, because those are very important, but the marine fisheries, in Maine, the lobstermen are threatened. The fishing industry on the East Coast was threatened uh, by this. So these are great victories we've seen. Mm. Uh, and I think they're going to get to it's The problem with, with the, this problem is they're, they're realizing that they need huge subsidies for these things to be economic. Uh, and the economics just are failing on these. And now they went back, uh, they being Orsted, they said uh, we're only going to do this. They're they're talking about doubling or tripling the already hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidies they were going to. They've already been paid two hundred million dollars hmm. that the state is trying now to get back. Right for them uh, pulling out. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone is our guest, uh, and his uh, his first book uh, was called Inconvenient Facts, The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know, and um, sold well at first, then resurged, and then sold well again, and resurged again, and is very popular. In fact, I saw, I think, on your Twitter feed, which is uh, G. Wrightstone is his, uh, Gregory Wrightstone's Twitter feed, uh, a link to, I mean, a reference to it's still, it's still selling really well. People are still paying a lot of attention to it, so you ought to get that first Inconvenient Facts is the is the name of the book. But but the other one I want to highlight, Gregory, is that and I like how you did this. There's uh, his next book is called Convenient Warm, a very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. This book is going to be out um, for regular sale sometime in the new year on Amazon and other places. But if you go to convenientwarming.com, which is one of Gregory Wrightstone's site, you can order the book there and get it for Christmas. And so tell first of all, tell me about this book, because this is a little different approach. I mean, in the sense that your first book was, hey, here's the actual facts. And and these people are going to tell you one thing, but these are the inconvenient facts, the science that you're not being told about. But this is a little different approach, uh, a very convenient warming, more maybe more making an argument that people can use to make some progress. Tell me about it. Oh, it, it's it's a message of hope, of, of uplifting, of, of an earth that and ecosystems and humanity that are thriving and prospering. We're being told just the opposite. So I've moved beyond, and with this book, a very convenient warming, I've moved beyond just saying there is no climate crisis, and there's not. 
to saying that not only is there not a climate crisis, but the modest warming and the increase of CO2 are just hugely beneficial to Earth's ecosystems and to the human condition. And Mm -hmm. we should celebrate that. That's a really, really good, I call it the greatest untold story of this century is the is the flourishing of humanity and and the earth's ecosystems we it's there's nothing like it out there it's, it's something people can get behind both from the, the secular community we've there's a message that's reverberating with the with the christian and religious communities uh of we're not destroying this planet and if we were we should do something about it but no uh, we're, we're seeing nothing but positive by almost every metric we look at. We're thriving, prospering, and flourishing. And again, I like to use the word celebrate, and we should celebrate the benefits that we're seeing. Um, it was, I, it's really, it wasn't a revelation, but I've been driven to this after all this research has been just pounding me in the face and hitting me in the head going, Fires aren't increasing, decreasing. Deserts aren't expanding. They're shrinking. Hmm. We're not going, we're seeing fewer droughts, not more droughts. We're breaking crop growth records year after year after year um, from the warmest climates to the coldest. In my book, this new book, I I look at the eight top crops in the world uh, in terms of tonnage and, and all eight of these. You should see the charts. They're just, I mean, they're breaking records year after year after year. That's because warming's contributing to longer growing seasons. And the CO2 is turbocharging plant growth. And then on top of that, uh, fossil fuel-derived nitrogen fertilizer is also contributing greatly to increasing crop growth. So we're feeding, we're we're blowing past, if we compare, and again, in the book I capture, crop growth versus population growth and the crops are well exceeding increases in publication of population. Uh, uh, Gregory Wrightstone is our guest. And again, uh, I'll put up on uh, social media links to it all, but his, uh, his newest book, a very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. Um, you can uh, order that at convenientwarming.com and get yourself a copy uh, in time for Christmas. Otherwise you have to wait till after the new year when it's out for the rest of the uh, um, uh, hoi polloi to review. Um, Gregory, uh, internationally, I, I, I don't mean this the wrong way, and I just got about a minute or two minutes left, a minute and a half left. Do, do the international wars slow some of the um, internationalists and the globalists' efforts to uh, f- push their insanity? I don't want wars. I don't want wars. But is there anybody who's saying, you know what, we're going to stop messing around with all these uh, international globalist stuff? We got other things to worry about. Well, I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I just haven't. Uh, yeah. Zelensky actually was saying we need, you need to fund climate change. You know, we need to, we need to end this war. Because, uh, climate change is so much more important than this Ukraine <laughs> war. That's going to, you know, and it's just, it, it's crazy. Again, I, I just traveled and spent, I was meeting with ministers last week and it's, they have a tougher road to hoe than we do. Mm-hmm. We have people like you, Ed, uh, you you talked about my first book being explosive. You know, I think I attribute it to Ed Martin. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. Whenever nice. you're always nice. When I you had me on, 
You're nice Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. No, I I think we both know um, the one the one woman who who really turbocharged it. But but I think uh, I think Gregory Wrightstone. I was looking at your bio. I think we first met because you were also fighting Common Core. You had as a, as a as an educated guy and an educator and someone who was trying to educate people. You said, "What are you doing to our school system up in Pennsylvania?" So uh, we, we've all been slogging away, and uh, it's great to see uh, your success. We wish you more. Again, the the book is a very convenient. Warming, go to convenientwarming.com uh, and uh, check it out and order a copy. I got to run, uh, Gregory. Thank you as always. Thank you. All right, Gregory Wrightstone, everybody, and I. I, I mentioned early his work uh, and uh, the importance of what he's doing at the CO2 Coalition. Uh, make sure uh, CO2 Coalition is uh, important. Uh, they've got some great researchers that he has brought on there too, doing things. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro Mark Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast delivering a conservative pro-family perspective since 1983. As an author, speaker, and the founder of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Mrs. Schlafly spent an astounding 70 years in public service, protecting and defending the Constitution, the nuclear family, the unborn, and America's sovereignty. Following that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Today is Election Day, a fact which you may or may not have already heard about. Sadly, these off-year elections never seem to receive the kind of media attention that is thrown at congressional and especially presidential elections. However, this lack of attention does not equate to a lack of importance. In fact, many of these off-year races are at least as consequential as the big races that you hear about in the news. Throughout the nation, Americans will be voting on governorships that will determine the trajectory of their states. Many a conservative legislature has been thwarted by a tepid governor, so giving your state strong conservative leadership is critical. Even if your state does not have a gubernatorial race on the ballot, you'll probably have the opportunity to vote on ballot measures, which are a favorite dirty trick of special interest groups. When they can't buy out a vote in the state legislature, many interest groups funded by huge donors will spend millions to buy out a ballot measure. Making your voice heard against these corporations is a very big deal. Hitting even closer to home, today's elections will almost certainly afford you the opportunity to have a voice in your local leadership, including school boards, library boards, county executives, and more. These local elections are an indispensable bastion in the bulwark against woke indoctrination. We can't complain about what's going on in our schools if we won't even take the time to go out and vote for conservative school board candidates. These are the folks spending our tax dollars. So we have a duty to ensure that our community is protected from using our tax dollars for woke purposes. While it is true that voting in the so-called important years is truly important, The test of a true patriot is whether he's willing to make his voice heard, even when the mainstream media's silence beckons him to stay home. Today is Election Day, and it matters. Don't shrink from your duty in America's hour of need. Go and vote today. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. 
Thanks for listening, and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, the last month or so has been really fun for me because I've been working with uh, Catherine Engelbrecht uh, and Greg Phillips, uh, who have worked together on True the Vote and other efforts. And they're the they're and Greg Phillips is spending much of his time on it. But Catherine Engelbrecht is one of the founders also of Open.Inc., this um, website that has a, is a clearinghouse for us to post a lot of the January 6th collection, as well as other stuff. But here's the thing. They're really very, very talented people and a really interesting and fun to work with. And I'm rem- I was reminded in the midst of all this that Catherine Engelbrecht years ago came to St. Louis, excuse me, <clears throat> came to Washington, D.C., pardon me, came to Washington, D.C. to be part of our collegians effort where we have our uh, college students, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles college students get engaged. And she addressed the group and we had a a dinner afterwards. It was me and her and Sidney Powell and John Schlafly and Roger Severino and a few others. And just extraordinarily interesting, talented woman, Catherine Engelbrecht. It's been really fun to work with her. I've known her for years now, obviously. And In the midst of all this work we're doing on the January 6th collection, which is over at open.inc slash J6, extraordinary uh, thing that they're doing. Catherine Engelbrecht's got family issues. She's got her, her, her own family she's taking care of. I won't go into the details of it. And then I realized she's being sued. I, I don't know if Catherine, Engel, she was in jail like a year ago because of, of she got held in contempt by a judge because she wouldn't do what they told her in terms of of, of some of the uh, overreach of, of uh, law, uh, lawfare and courts. But and then she was ultimately let out, uh, got let out of jail, obviously. But I, I realized she's back in court and, it, and it's in three days or so from now, later this week in Georgia, being sued uh, for defamation for the 2000 Mules effort, her and Dinesh D'Souza and the companies and all. And I remembered saying to someone, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht, she she is attacked and, and the use of lawfare. She was one of the early her organization, True the Vote, early um, groups and people targeted by the IRS uh, to complicate the way people would work and do their work. She was fearless in saying what was true about election fraud, about the problems of fraud, about the fact that Republicans, as well as Democrats, but importantly, even because she's a conservative and identified as a conservative, she was willing to say it about Republicans. They're not doing enough about elections. They're not be- being serious about elections. There, in other words, at a certain point, if you can see what the problems are and you can be shown what they are and you won't do anything, there's only one conclusion in the, in the sort of default position is you're in on it. You like the game rigged. And although Catherine Engelbeck was careful how she said that, she was very clear. She's like, hey, the system is not working. Who's going to address it? And lots of Republicans didn't want to. And my point here is she's probably been attacked and maligned for doing the right thing by more people on both sides of the aisle than anyone except that's not named Trump, honestly. And she has had to go through litigation time after time. I I, I recently brought up um, lawfare to her. In some context, and she was chuckled. And I, as, as she chuckled, I realized, what am I talking about? Lawfare, describing lawfare when I see, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Clark being railroaded and I see, uh, John Eastman being attacked. And I was, I think I was describing some of that to her and she kind of chuckled. I mean, she herself has been through it. Uh, I mean, just one time after another. It's extraordinary. And yet, and yet 
she, there she is still doing the same thing, which is doing the right thing and being a voice out there and not being afraid of it and not at all being without uh, joy. I mean, it, it's incredible. I mean, I'm 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 nervous half the time and I get worried and uh, stressed out over things. It's not even me. I'm worried about other people, including her, you know, uh, Sydney Powell. I mean, the other one of the other people that was at that dinner with us. I mean, Sydney's been through just a, the, the ringer times 100, but it's nothing compared to what Catherine Engelbeck's going through. So my point in telling you all that is I, I want to make sure people realize she'll be back in court in Georgia being attacked for doing the right things. She'll be back paying the price for being out there. And what we need to support her in any way we can. True the Vote uh, is a great organization. That's her organization. You can always support that. There's lots of other ways to uh, to support her and what she's doing in terms of prayer. She mentioned when I asked her, "What what can we be doing?" It's true the vote. It's true the vote dot org, by the way, is the website, and that it is a uh, an entity that. Um, does accept donations if you want to support uh, their work. Uh, they're they're in the middle of a lot of the lawsuits. They get sued themselves, so um, that's a good place to go. And also, there's lots of resources on that website for ways you can get involved in protecting the election process. That's from the beginning what she's been doing. Uh, but she mentioned, I said, what could you do? She said, well, first of all, people can pray. Second of all, just raising awareness, which is one of the reasons I decided to do this segment, get people understanding and talking about what's going on, and then saying and supporting Catherine Engelbrecht in what she's doing. So it's good enough. It's great to pray for her. And I'm, I'm all for intentional prayer. I had a, a preacher tell me that last week. You got to be more intentional, be specific in what you pray for. Pray for Catherine Engelbrecht to succeed and do well. Pray for her organizations to succeed and do well. That's good. But uh, the other thing is to find ways to uh, spread the word and get people to understand who's fighting for us, who's on our side, who's actually doing stuff, not just tweeting, not just talking on a radio show even, but actually out there building the organizations, empowering people and fighting off the people that are trying to stop it. She's extraordinary. So uh, Catherine Engelbrecht, very much one of our the great Americans of this time, who's not stopped fighting one minute in the face of incredible, incredible adversity. And so please uh, support her in what she's doing. TrueTheVote.org, again, is her organization. And uh, keep an eye out for and uh, for what's happening with her and uh, highlight it for other people. So there you have it. Um, I will put all that up on social media. We've got to uh, take a break now. I want to say thank you to Mason Mohan and Ryan Hyde, our producers, and all those folks at The Answer San Diego in San, uh, in San Diego uh, in the Salem Radio Network for helping us get the show on and get it out well. So we we will uh, post all that up. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. Don't forget uh, uh, open.inc slash J6 is where you can see the January 6th collection, another one of Catherine Engelbrecht's great projects that she's helping us do. So we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.